0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. In the strange summer, and now it's coming autumn of 2020, we've become, of course, preoccupied with a certain Donald Trump, with the COVID crisis, with the the Black Lives Matter riots in America. But something else is going on something perhaps more profound uh, in in, in a historical sense uh, in this strange year of 2020. It's the shift from the analog to the digital economy. Uh, The top six digital companies now are up 43% in 2020 in their stock market price. The rest of the market is down 4%. We have an increasingly digitalized economy. One guy who I love to talk to about these profound structural shifts in the in the economic uh, sphere is my old friend Sir Martin Sorrell. He is the executive chairman and founder of S4 Capital. He's best known as also the founder of WPP. He's a man, if anyone, in the in a global sense, who has his finger on the pulse of the economic pulse of the of of of, uh, of the planet. Uh, Sir Martin, wish, wish I did,
1: Andrew. That's. Very flattering, but probably untrue, I, I I attempt to try and figure out what's going on
0: sometimes. Well, I have to, I have to, I have to try. I have to be nice to you at first, at least, uh, Martin, to to get you going. Um, So in 50 years, Martin, when historians, particularly economic historians, look back at 2020, is it going to be the year that we finally had this profound shift from digital to a to to uh from from analog to digital well i think it was
1: the profound shift was taking w- place well before i mean it started in the late 90s or the mid 90s and it accelerated in the the first two decades of the the new millennium so uh, but this year is pretty iconic or seminal because it looks as though digital surpasses analog uh, in all its forms this year so If the market, if the media market last year was 550 billion to 600 billion dollars approximately, and this year it's 500 billion, uh, digital will last year was around 250 billion. This year it'll be roughly the same. It may actually be up a bit by the time we get to the end of the year. But this year is the year when digital takes the lion's share of the market. We we predict, so it'll be more than 50 percent this year. In 2020, and we predict that by 2024, it'll be two thirds of the market. So it's going to continue to increase its share. So I think, in that sense, people in 50 years will look back and say that was a seminal moment. I wish we were 50 years hence, and then you know I would be 125, and um, we could we could figure out you know what was going to happen.
0: But I think think you'll still look the same when you're 125, Uh, (laughs) Martin. what does this shift mean? I mean, Apple now is worth $2 trillion. 2.3 um, trillion. 2.3. I mean, it went up th- 0.3 trillion as we're speaking. Um, <laughs> you've always been somebody who's ambivalent about the rise of digital. You and I have been talking over the last 10 or 15 years about the dangers of a Facebook and Google-dominated economy. How fearful, how worried are you by the dominance of these these digital giants?
1: Well, uh, you, you know, I, I've become attuned to it. I'm, I'm not maybe as worried as I, I was a few years ago when, when I coined or actually somebody who worked with me coined the the frenemy, the frenemy uh, word, you know, friend and enemy. And my view has probably matured or uh, developed since then. I mean, I see At S4, I see the six platforms defining them as Google, Facebook, Amazon, Tencent, Alibaba, and TikTok because TikTok is the the only one really to have broken through. I mean, the numbers, as you know, Google's around 165, 170 billion of ad revenues out of the 250. Facebook is about 65, 70 of it, and Amazon running at about 15 to 20 depending on which number you look at. And TikTok has broken through around seven. But most of that is in is it around seven billion in China. But we don't know what the future of TikTok is going to hold. I mean, presumably, it will still continue to operate uh, in China with its separate platform. But goodness knows what's going to happen outside China. I mean, even some thought that it might go completely because the what the Chinese government, Beijing,
0: said. I, I do want to talk about TikTok and China, but uh, but, but let's focus on the dangers of uh, the huge companies. No,
1: well, everybody focuses on the dangers uh, of them, or well, not everybody, Scott Galloway does and others. I, I'm not sure that um, you're going to get much change out of or much advantage. How do you go after Amazon, Andrew, when, when Jeff Bezos says you know, the purpose of Amazon is to deliver goods and services to the consumer at cheaper and cheaper prices. I remember when they, the day they were in Congress, the, the four horsemen or however you describe them were in Congress. I think Amazon was announcing free delivery of groceries in the UK. So, you know, what's not to like. So I think you have to be extremely careful and also be careful what you want for in terms of Google and Facebook. I mean, 60, 70%, I saw an analysis, from uh, Michael Nathanson, that suggested even more—a uh, greater percentage than 70%, maybe even 80%—of their advertising revenues have come from small and medium-sized businesses, and those are the engines of growth in terms of employment. So just be careful what you wish for. I mean, these companies have become very powerful. They are trillion-dollar companies. You know, Google's a trillion, Apple's a trillion, Amazon's a trillion. Facebook is not—not not quite at a trillion. Uh, it's, I think it's about 700 billion, a little bit more. But you know, today, you know, Alphabet hits, I think, uh, an all-time high. Apple hit an all-time high. Amazon hit an all-time high. So you know, these are companies that are going to continue to grow because of the pressures of COVID-19 in, in, in addition to the underlying strategic trends that you alluded to. Do I worry about their power and their dominance? Well, they, you know, they are strong, but we've been here before. We've had other industries where companies have dominated. Uh, regulation has been uh, enacted against them. I'm not sure what advantage you're going to get from, uh, from regulating these companies. You know, for example, here in the UK, uh, a sale, digital sales tax was put on uh, Google and Facebook and they of 2%. And that's been being passed on to the consumer, certainly by Google, I think starting in November. So uh, again, these are platforms that are extremely efficient, extremely effective, otherwise they wouldn't have got to where they were. They do have enormous power. With that power comes responsibility. And I think, you know, for example, in Facebook's case, it is exercising that power with greater and greater responsibility, hiring 30,000 people to monitor editorial content, you know, changing their algorithms. So they're to, becoming,
0: you, you, you have always said that these companies have to acknowledge their media companies. Are you yes. suggesting that they are now, that they are finally telling the truth about what they are?
1: Yes, I think they are. They don't, I think, actually come out and say we are a media company when, when asked the question. They always say they're tech companies, but I think they are starting to do and, and have started to do, particularly, I would say, the last three or four years maybe since 2016, when the walls in the Wall gardens got higher, when there were these concerns around brand safety, about privacy, about interference in elections at the last U.S. election in 2016. I think from then on, the pressures got so great, whether it be GDPR or whatever, the pressures got so great that they started to exercise their responsibility um, and acknowledge the, the power that they have. And I don't think they ever went so far as to say, we are a media company. And they're not subject to the same constraints that the traditional media companies are. But I think they are acknowledged. You know, Facebook takes down the Boogaloo groups, the, the more extremist groups. I mean, it is exercising some control uh, and responsibility. And I think that would be... The other thing about regulation, Andrew, is you know, GDPR really didn't, didn't help in any way. I mean, I think... That the European regulator wished that GDPR would reduce the power or limit the power of the platforms. It's actually enhanced it because it's limited the competition of the small and medium-sized business level, and, and it's probably concentrated the power more. So um, I think you have to work with the platforms if, you know, in government. It's very difficult government to keep up with mm. these technologies, Martin,
0: you you mentioned Scott Galloway. He's been in the news recently, the professor at uh, our mutual friend at uh, NYU. He's been in the news recently arguing that the next big disruption is in education. I know you've got a, a very young daughter. In 16 years, when she goes to college, will there still be real colleges? Do you expect education to be as profoundly disrupted as Galloway is suggesting?
1: yeah I think I, I agree with him. I, I think that the models he points out that the models and he refers to to himself, you know how the the universities deploy his talent and how you know, sort of antiquated and how the gross margins are so huge that that you know he doesn't think it can exist and I think I'm right in saying that we've already seen one or two universities merge uh, in the United States already, so I think and don't forget Co. The impact of COVID-19 is as yet unseen, in a way, because furloughs and subsidies are still operative. You know, for example, here in the UK, what's going to happen to employment or unemployment uh, in November when the furloughs cease, when the government ceases to pay eighty percent of the salaries of people in order to keep them in jobs? So you've got to, you know, they kick the can down the road. Uh, Now there's a big argument in the UK about how we pay for this. Is it through increased taxation? Personal taxion, taxation may be the right thing. Capital gains tax might be the right thing, you know, in the sense of capital gains tax being the same as income tax. Then the big question is, do you tax corporations? You know, tax corporations, you affect small businesses and medium-sized businesses when they're trying to recover from COVID-19. So there are a lot of policy issues here which are very difficult to to, to mm. find. Ma- Martin,
0: so, uh, you have, as, as I suggested earlier, a pretty panoramic view of the economy. In addition to uh, further education, what other sectors do you think are particularly vulnerable for radical disruption in in the post-Covid world?
1: Well, travel, hospitality clearly have got significant issues. I mean they to me are the L-shaped sectors that uh, I I haven't come across chair-shaped, you know, ones that fall off a cliff (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, the, the U-shaped ones, uh, you know, certainly package goods is more U-shaped. You know, you, a proctor who sold its food business, I think under A.G. Lafley, is in a very strong position with a portfolio. A record, Benchisa, obviously, similarly. You know, Unilever, which kept its food businesses, you know, with uh, home uh, food service, hotel service, restaurant service business, with ice cream business, obviously more... So you get different U-shapes, I think, within packaged goods. Obviously, autos are very challenged. I think a, a much longer, a broad-based U, if you like, to, to autos. Pharmaceuticals and tech and in-home games and entertainment and online shopping clearly are more V-shaped, or at least you know, sort of emblematically or iconically, because because those are the sectors really that are tough thing to say, that are in a way benefiting from what we see in COVID. But I would have said the most challenged, you know, I look at my own, I, mean, I was on a, web, uh, a webcast uh, with uh, the, somebody who ran a big airline company, a big hotel company and a big fast food company. And the, the, the guy, it happened to be three men, but the, the, the guy running the hotel company said, of course people will book hotels again guy running the airline company said of course people will, will book the airline company the airline seats again and then the guy running the fast food food and you could hear a pin drop when he said this said my travel budget has been reduced to zero and it's not going to go back to more than 50 percent of what it was before so you know you know we were, we were talking about mark reed i mean he, he talks about himself having filed an expense claim for 48 pounds last month um so well, Clearly. you trained
0: him well, Martin, to uh, to, to <laughs> not to spend too much money. Let, 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 let's talk about TikTok because I, you've always been a very keen observer of China. You were one of the first people to understand what was happening in China. What's going on with TikTok?
1: Well, I, I think it's become a pawn in a political tussle. I mean, I I am. If you said to me, "What's the thing that worries me most?" I obviously worry about climate change. I obviously worried about COVID nineteen. Uh, I'm always Obviously, worried about inequalities, not just within nations, but between nations. All of which probably have been exacerbated by what's happened in COVID nineteen. But the fundamental issue, which by the way at Davos got no airtime, climate change got the airtime, but but nobody really talked about the G two conflict. This conflict between the U S. and China is the number one issue, certainly in the short to medium term. And you know the reason that both the Democrats and the Republicans pursue an anti-China policy. Why is it? Well, because they think it wins votes. And I've seen decks, you know, uh, presentations which, which postulate that point or prove that point, that in terms of grabbing a greater share of the American voting public, you're, you're better off to have against China. So TikTok is right in the middle. I mean, you, you've had what President Trump has said, You know, you have to sell the the non-Chinese or most of the non-Chinese part of TikTok as quickly as you possibly can by September the 15th, whatever. And the Chinese government have almost said, well, you know, we'll veto that transaction or we'll prevent it, which places TikTok in a very, very difficult position. So it's being pulled from pillar to post. I mean, one of the things I didn't really realize was that TikTok has two platforms, really, has one in China with a different brand. And one outside China, so maybe the founder you know thought in his heart of hearts that this was a, a a possibility, but they hired Kevin Mayer, and Kevin Mayer has gone after three months so it's really in the midst of a political tussle, and I think it's very difficult, and even if the Democrats, even if Biden was to win uh, i don 't think the policy would be that much different. It might be a slightly different policy, I think Tom Friedman pointed out that Biden probably would would form more of a coalition against China. You know, Friedman says uh, Trump should learn to speak German because you know, he, he should therefore forge an alliance with the most powerful country in the EU and the EU and that together they should try and counterbalance the, 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 the issues that, uh, that China represents. But I, for one, I don't have the solution to it. But I think it's the number one issue. And what should...
0: game? What game are the Chinese playing? It's all very well focusing on the Americans, but are they are they playing this game very well? Are they are they in charge of the narrative essentially?
1: Well, not know, whether they're in charge of the narrative, but you know, things have really shifted uh, under uh, President Xi. Uh, you know, the Chinese have have, have changed. I think uh, in many respects, and of course, they. I think they do feel challenged. I think they have great difficulty, as many people do, in understanding what President Trump and uh, the US government stand for, what their objectives are, and they're puzzled. It's, it's like nothing else. You know, it's certainly different to dealing with a, a president like Obama or Bush, uh, and very difficult to predict. Very There's great significant amount of volatility in how do you assess and evaluate. And of course, they're always thinking for the long term. So it's very difficult for them I think to get their minds around it. And I think, you know, my sense is their attitudes have, have hardened. I mean, we have these so-called wolf warriors who make, you know, quite, quite extreme statements. You know, remember the, the comment about Australia being, what was it, chewing gum on our shoe or something there that, that effect. I mean, this is pretty heavy stuff. And, you know, there's been, it's not just the contretemps with uh, the U.S. It's, you know, with uh, India, with the uh, Philippines, uh, I mean, it, it's uh, Taiwan, I mean, the Australian thing. I mean, it, it, it's China is, is fighting some battles on many fronts, diplomatic battles on many fronts. So it's a very different China, I think, than we were used to under previous regimes. And of course, President Xi will probably have a, a very long term, certainly longer than Trump.
0: Certainly um, longer than Trump. Um,
1: Martin... Uh, You've always been the same length as Putin as well.
0: You've always been pretty bullish on the United States. You've you've lived here um, and you do a lot of your your business here. Um, How worried are you, though, by the threat of violence and of of the impact of of Trump both on the, the politics and the economics of the United States? Well,
1: I think we're all worried when we see the, the scenes that we see uh, through the media about what's going on in Wisconsin or wherever it happens to be. And I, I think we're all worried about the, uh, the 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 language and the and the the violence. Uh, obviously, the 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 insane killings that have taken place uh, of of black people in the U.S. We're obviously extremely sympathetic to the black lives movement and i do think this is very different to 1968 or anything that's gone before i think we are seeing real change and we're seeing real change in two ways firstly hiring practices we we're talking about that on our management call today even with little old s4 we are we are making now very significant changes in our hiring policy and we are as a firm you know very diverse 40 percent of our what was 262650 2600, people are people of color our black representation has to be higher in the United States. is only about three or four percent. The country is about thirteen percent New York, where we have offices is twenty five percent California where offices is much less. but we've said we've committed to represent the communities in which we work. so if we work in new york twenty five percent of our workforce should be should be black so we have we have more to do, so we're all very concerned about it. hiring practices. Matching funding that we we've done. We're setting up a fellowship program, a scholars program to recruit black students at high school and university level. So similar to the WPP fellowship that we did, but this will be a four-year program uh, aimed at uh, black um, kids coming out of high school, call them that, young men and young women, and out of the black universities as well. there will be small-scale and. The beginning, but we hope it will rev up. So, hiring practices, and the other thing that's really powerful is procurement practices. I mean, what is clearly evident even in the last couple of months is that companies are their criteria for choosing partners, agency partners, or whatever it happens to be, consulting partners, will to a very large extent be determined by the diversity of the team. And in one instance just recently, 40% of the evaluation.
0: I, I get all this, and I, and I think what you're doing at S4 is excellent, Martin, but you're ducking the question a bit. Uh, when it comes to political risk, how worried should we be about America in November 2020? Well, it, you know, in, in terms of the election, Andrew? Well, in terms of the election, a disputed election, violence, oh, the disruption of the political I think, system, a constitutional I think, crisis. I, 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 well, it, it turns into a constitutional crisis, or not, I
1: don't know. But you know, do, what do I think is going to happen? I think the result on November the 3rd will be extremely close. Um, that, you know, one polling organization or one uh, consulting organization, which I think Michael Bloomberg, which ran Michael Bloomberg's campaign has suggested that the, you know, it will be very close. Maybe even Trump uh, on November the 3rd will be in the lead. But as the mail-in votes come in, maybe that would shift. So you're gonna, this is gonna take a long time I think for the result, this will be similar to what we saw with Al Gore. Um, You know, the 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 counting um, of the vote will carry on for a long period of time, maybe into December, maybe well into December. And we 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 are, I I think, the sort of scenarios that you're hinting at or not hinting at, you're you're declaring a possible. These are possibilities because I'm I'm sure that the mail-in vote will be very extensive, and I'm sure it will be very important and we will have to wait some time to see it so what we see on november the third or november the fourth when 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 the polls are in might be very different over the over the the ensuing weeks so it is going to be a very difficult period of time it's going to be as one head of one investment banker it's going to be a very bumpy autumn Uh,
0: i hope it's just bumpy Uh, martin finally you're talking to me from london your home yeah uh Post Brexit UK, totally irrelevant, reasonably irrelevant, or back to life? What well, the, the UK? Depends yeah.
1: depends on what the government does. I mean, I, I think you know, we could be Singapore on steroids, we could be Singapore on Thames.
0: Is that Singapore uh, behind you, by the way? I don't know. No, sure no what this is. is a this is a, a doodle by our people at uh,
1: Media Monks, so our content company about S four. You you find you know, Media Monks and Mighty Hive, and there's lots of allusions in there, a little a little cartoon on the wall, but um, which I use as my virtual background. It's in, it's in our boardroom. Um, no, look, I think it's a very challenging time, Andrew. I mean, the, the Prime Minister has had a lot on his plate, both professionally and personally.
0: I hope not it, too much on his plate, right?
1: Well, well <laughs> he's been eating less since Corona, I think. He's slimmed down a bit, but he's had a lot on his plate both professionally and, and personally. I mean, if you were, you know, if you've gone through a, a, a very important political event um, successfully, you know, if you, you know, were getting divorced, if you, were, you had a girlfriend who was pregnant, uh, the baby was, was born in the, in the course of the COVID-19 crisis. I mean, if it, you had somebody Andrew, working for you. And right? you almost died. Uh, and and yeah, last but not least, <laughs> you almost died with Corona. What would you say to him or her? You would say, look, can I help you? Um, and by the way, at the same time of doing all this, he has to run the country. I mean, that is a huge burden, a huge burden. And if you had somebody working for you who was going through that sort of stuff, you would say, well, do you need some help? Or can I help you? Or, what, what do, I mean, or would you like to take a few days off or a few weeks off? Or a few maybe, months,
0: a few years, probably.
1: So maybe. So it's a it's a very tough time. And Brexit, you know, my bet would be that we will do a deal with the EU. It'll be a very skinny deal, as they call it. Um, it it won't be much of a deal, but it'll be a deal. But we have to deal with that. And we have to deal with coming out of COVID. Now, you, you can see already Rishi Sunak, who is, you know, probably a potential, well not probably, definitely a potential successor to Boris, is running into choppy water over his his um, floating, it, one's assuming that the Treasury are floating this uh, in the media, floating the idea of heavier taxes. And I think taxes on, as I alluded to, taxes on people who can pay for it, uh, income taxes or capital gains taxes, I think that's that's okay. But when you start to shift the tax burden onto corporations at a time when coming out of Brexit, to your point, and there's even more pressure on them. That's when I think the trouble will start. And I think you see the Tory party being being uh, riven by uh, the view on whether corporation tax rates should rise. So, uh, UK, to your question, th- this is going to be a very testing period. I mean, if we don't set aside the investment, you know, education, retraining, reskilling. Hardware, software. If we don't set aside necessary investment, we won't be a Singapore on steroids, which is what I think we have to do. We have to shift from the from Europe to more and more to North America and South America, more and more to Asia Pacific, more and more to Central and Eastern Europe. That's what we have to do. And if we don't have the wherewithal to do it, we're going to have great difficulty. It's going to take a long time anyway. Andrew.
0: Martin, fin- fin- finally, anyway. finally, two 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 small questions. Uh, Firstly, you you haven't been traveling much. uh, As the man who probably keeps the airline and hotel industry afloat single-handedly, you've been stuck in London the last six or seven months. Uh, So two questions in in, in that context. What have you been reading? And secondly, when are we going to get a book out of you? This is for Lit and everyone wants a Martin Sorrell autobiography, the story of your life. Are you doing one? Are you thinking about one?
1: Well, what I'm reading is, extraordinarily enough, um, you know my father used to be a great student of the Talmud, and apropos of nothing, I was doing something in relation to um, the the Jewish community here and Somebody heard me talk about my dad being able to recite the Talmud, so he sent me this whacking great book about the, <laughs> the Talmud, which which I started to delve into it 's a huge book with a lot of rabbinic commentary it 's really interesting actually in its in its way uh, as to my book. Um, that's not going to come until I'm dead. When I'm dead, then I can, then I can say what I actually want to say. I think when, when you're, you're sort of still active, I mean, dead figuratively, not dead necessarily dead. Oh, I see, dead yeah. um, because, you know, I think saying what you really want to say when you're still active is probably not a wise thing to say.
0: You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in itunes stitcher spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts while you're at it if you enjoyed what you heard we'd appreciate a rating on itunes Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help, too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at Lit Hub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.